Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19 is where we'll start. While you're turning there, let me give you a quick a quick review of what we've covered thus far. Psalm 24, verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so we started this whole stewardship series on this understanding that it all belongs to God. We are but stewards, one who manages another's property, finances, or other affairs. We don't own anything, all of it. All of it belongs to God. By the way, life's problems belong to God too. This nation belongs to God. Your fears belong to God. Quit taking responsibility for things that God wants to be responsible for in your life. We're but stewards. So it all belongs to God. Your character belongs to God. Your companion, your marriage belongs to God. Your children belong to God. Your church belongs to God. Your choices belong to God. Then in the second message, we looked at the truth that our time belongs to God, our most precious commodity. Time is impermanent. Time is irreplaceable. And time is an investment. Then in the third message, our talents belong to God. And boy, Brother Bryce took that to heart, and I so appreciate that he did. Talents are to be used for God's service. God distributes talents as he sees fit. Talents can be removed if God so deems. And we talked about our shape ministry, uh, our, our shape ministry, spiritual gifts, gifted men, speaking gifts, serving gifts. We talked about your heart. We talked about abilities. We talked about personality. And we talked about experiences. A couple of y'all have asked for shape tests since then. I'm glad for that. And if anybody else wants one, we can get that to you quickly um, to help you determine how God best wants to use you in, in a ministry capacity. And now tonight, our treasure belongs to God. Our treasure belongs to God. You say, well, why did you put this as the last one? Candidly, it's the one I least want to preach. I don't like preaching on money. I really don't. But there's a lot of things I don't like preaching on that God says, all right, it's time to preach on this. See, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, would you help me to preach this in the way that most pleases you? Lord, I believe that this subject is of you, and I believe this message is of you, but I could very easily mess it up. Would you get me out of the way? Would you use your word and speak to our hearts? Oh, Holy Spirit, put us right where you want us to be in this and all things. And may Jesus be lifted up in it. For it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. How a Christian handles... The money over which they are stewards says a great deal about where that Christian is spiritually. It's interesting. Jesus says more about money than just about anything else in his ministry. Now, that does not mean that money is more important than salvation, certainly not. But that Jesus said a lot about it seems to me to lead us into the understanding that we would have a lot of problems with it. It says 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Listen closely. Your heart reveals who you are. But how you handle your treasure reveals where you are. Your heart reveals who you are, but how you handle the treasure that God is stu- you're stewarding for God, that tells you where you are. As I've said before, I don't particularly enjoy preaching about your obligation to give financially. When I say yours, I mean mine as well. I don't like the thought of being the butt of that common refrain, that preacher just after money. It's all about money with him. I hope I've demonstrated nearly 12 years that it's not all about money with me. Paul Chappell makes a good point when he says this, Giving is as much a part of the Christian life as any other act of obedience. We don't have a problem telling people that baptism is an act of obedience. Witnessing is an act of obedience. Church attendance and involvement is an act of obedience. Bible study is an act of obedience. Prayer is an act of obedience. So is giving. So is giving. And shame on me for not being a good steward of the pulpit and mentioning it more than what I have. And yeah, I've wrestled with that too. Consider what Paul told the Ephesian elders as he was leaving for the last time in Acts chapter 20. He said, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Right now in our adult Sunday school class that's combined with the teens, we're having to declare all the counsel of God, and it's not necessarily fun. It's not necessarily fun for us to come face to face with some ways as parents that maybe we're not up to snuff. It's not fun for teenagers to realize, you know what, I might have to change some things in my life. But if we're going to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, we touched on this this morning, it's far better to put a fence around the edge of the cliff than to put an ambulance at the bottom. Wouldn't it be better if we knew what to do up here instead of trying to put things back together down there? See. So let's take a look at the Scriptures, and we're going to come to an obvious conclusion, I think, that my treasure... Your treasure belongs to God. It belongs to God. Now, I'm going to give you some background information real quick. Um, the idea of giving goes all the way back to the Old Testament when it talks about the offerings. There were five types of Old Testament offerings, five generalized types. Let me put it that way. You have the burnt offerings. Burnt offerings symbolized complete consecration of one's life to God. Meat or meal offerings symbolized full dedication of one's possessions to God. Peace offerings sought to give thanksgiving or praise to God. Most often they were voluntary and they were many times connected with the feasts. You had a thank offering. Amongst these peace offerings, you had a thank offering in which you rendered uh, that offering when an unusual blessing was experienced. Have you ever had God bless you and you just felt the need to thank Him for it by giving? A votive offering was given in payment of a vow, and a free will offering was given as a simple expression of love for God. These were peace offerings. Then you had sin offerings. They covered unintentional faults. And then trespass offerings was an offering of money for sins of ignorance, or they made restitution. Um, Within these offerings, you had what was called libations or drink offerings that often accompanied them. Uh, We see an example of that in 2 Samuel 23. You remember when David craved the water from the well at Bethlehem and a couple of his men busted through and got him some and he poured it out before the Lord. That was a drink offering. Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered. He's talking about being a drink offering. I'm poured out. i got nothing left. 
But then we get specifically into giving, not just offerings, but into giving. And in the Old Testament, giving fell basically into one of two general categories. The first was the tithe. Now, the tithe, by definition, means 10%. But if you start digging through the Old Testament, you find out that by the time you were done, especially if you were late with it, you paid more than 10%. But as just a general rule and a help for us simple-minded people, we think of a tithe as 10%. 10 10% of one's income, 10% of one's possessions. Leviticus 27, verse 30, And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. By the way, it's important for us to remember this as we talk about this. This is not about what the priests got or the tabernacle got or the temple got. When you gave, you were giving unto God. Your tithes, your offerings, however you structure your giving, does not come to me. It does not even come to this church. It is being given to God. And that's how we have to see it. That's how we have to see it. Because that's the only biblical way to see it. It's being given to God. Free will offerings were those that were determined by the person. They were under no obligation to do so. They were just waited for the leading and the prompting of God to do so. Now let's talk about tithing real quick. There are many. And, I, and when I say this, these are many times people that are thoughtful and they love God and they're not trying to cause problems. But there are many that feel that tithing is no longer applicable for New Testament Christians. It's under the law and that's been done away with. Christ fulfilled all of that. I confess to you that I am wavering a bit on my position regarding tithing. I'm still practicing it for the great, for the great um, theological reason of better safe than sorry. But I am, I'm really trying to weigh out how much of it is law that's been fulfilled and how much of it has held over. Can I give you some things to think about, the same things that I'm thinking about as I work through this issue? Preacher, you're not set on this? There's a whole lot of things I'm not set on. I'm set on what I have to be set on. I'm set on salvation by grace through faith. I'm set on the inerrancy of Scripture. I'm set on that Jesus is coming back. I'm set on holy living. I'm set on that stuff. But I'm not set on whether or not Saul was saved. King Saul, not the Apostle Saul. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not set, I'm not set on the Nephilim. Don't tell Brother Earl. I'm not set on the Nephilim. And I'm not set on tithing. But I think by the time we're done, you're going to find out at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter where you come down on tithing. Can I give you some things to think about? Tithing predated the law. Tithing wasn't part of the law. It predated it. In fact, what did Abram do? When he came back after his victory, uh, redeeming Lot and the rest of the people, what did he do? He gave a tithe to Melchizedek. I'm not settling whether or not Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ either. Depends on what day you ask me. Plenty of things I'm not set on. It predated the law. Now here's something else. Even predating the law, the tithe also... The tithe also was commended. Oh, 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 I missed one, and this is important. One of the last things that is mentioned prominently at the end of the Old Testament is talking about tithe. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? You've robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and, oh, wait a minute, offerings. Now, we, we focus on tithe, but the reality of it is if God lays on your heart to give and you don't, you've robbed Him as much then as if you didn't tithe. And that does, that does expand beyond the law. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Would you remember that last verse for later? Jesus commended the tithe while on earth. Matthew 23, 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! If you think I'm preaching hard, consider some of Jesus' preaching. I don't know that there's been a time that I've... Hypocrites! Whited sepulchers, you're clean on the outside, but inside you're full of rotten dead men's bones. Vipers! I'm much sweeter than that. Jesus says to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, watch this, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. What's he talking about? Tithing. You should be tithing. I'm not saying you shouldn't be tithing. He's saying, and not to leave the other undone. So Jesus commends tithing. But could I give you something just intensely practical? Regardless of where you come down on tithing, I'd ask you this. Who among us could honestly argue that Jesus is not entitled to 10% of what's already His anyway? If I were to come up to Brother Branson and I'd say, Brother Branson, I'd like to strike an accord with you. Every day... By the way, I can't, I can't come through on this. Every day, I'm going to give you $100. And all I ask is that you give me back 10 Think you'd take that deal? You better. Don't, well, what if it's something, what's ill got? Don't ask for conscience sake. Just take it and thank the Lord for it. <laughs> One of y'all rolls up in here with a million dollars for the Family Life Center. I'm not going to start asking questions. Thank you, Lord, and thank you. Well, I got it from playing that. Shh! I don't want to know. Whatever it is, the devil's had it long enough. <laughs> Who of us could argue that Jesus is not entitled to 10% of that which already belongs to him? Remember, your heart says who you are, but your treasure says where you are. And if your God's not worth 10%, He's not big enough in your life. So, wherever I come down on tithe, and we'll see. Can I tell you what I think it is? I think it's a really good start. I think it's a really good start. Now, let's get into what I know. For argument's sake, let's assume the tithe went away with the law. I don't have to give anything. Wrong. By the way, it's not what you have to do, it's what you get to do. 
Don't, don't we get excited when we can get involved in a project that there's, there's clearly a benefit to it? You know, like Miss Jessica, let's say she needed an operation. This operation is going to save her life. Wouldn't you find some, some, some fulfillment in, in giving towards that and being a part of something that's going to save this dear lady's life, wouldn't you? Well, then why in the world don't we feel excited about giving to the greatest project that ever existed, and that's getting people saved? <laughs> so I'd like you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Well, I should have made that bigger, huh? Can't nobody read that. So use your Bibles. That's probably better anyway. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Everybody agree that 2 Corinthians is well into the New Testament? It is. Jesus has already gone back to heaven. Pentecost has taken place. The local church exists and is in full, in full swing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay? Verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace to abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. If we add in a couple of other passages that we'll not cover tonight for time's sake, it is clear to us that God expects financial giving to be a part of New Testament Christian worship. Now, this doesn't mean that God is relying on us to give, but He does use us to finance His work. Remember, God doesn't do anything that He's, not empowered, that, that, that he's empowered us to do. God doesn't have to miraculously provide funds for things that He's already given us the funds to pay for. Now, will He work miraculously? Sure He will. But He doesn't have to. He's given us what we need. Everything, oh, I want to be careful about how I say this. For the most part, there are exceptions, the Family Life Center being one of them. That's going to take a miracle. But did you know that God has already given us what we need within our own congregation to take care of the day-to-day operations of this ministry? Right. It's here. It's here. Now, that doesn't mean God is any less the provider, because who gave us the jobs and who gave us the wherewithal? God did. Everything, every good gift comes from the Father of Lights. We understand that. But He's blessed us to be able to do this. Okay. I've heard this before. God doesn't need my money. You're right, He doesn't. But He does demand your obedience. God doesn't need our money, but He does demand our obedience. This is also a measure of one's spiritual growth. Don't turn there for time's sake. In fact, stay where you're at. But let me read you something from from Matthew chapter 19. I was already there. Where was I going? Matthew chapter 19. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? And he said, good master, what good thing, verse 16, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He saith unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. 
Now, is Jesus there preaching a work-based salvation? Certainly not. He's saying, if you want to get there apart from me, you're going to have to live a perfect life. You're going to have to keep every commandment perfectly. Never offend the law in one point. We understand that nobody's done that except Jesus. Okay. He saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He dealt with the commandments that deal with other men. He didn't even get into the commandments that deal with God. Young man saith unto him, <laughs> all these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now listen to what Jesus says. If thou wilt be perfect. He is not telling him how to be saved. He's telling him how to be the most mature believer he could be, if that were true. If thou wilt be perfect, mature, complete, go and sell at thy house and give to the poor, and thou shalt have, not a home in heaven, treasure in heaven. So what do we take from that? Now he's bringing this man to an understanding that, that he, needs, he needs Jesus as his Savior. And sadly, it appears as though he didn't take advantage of that. We hope in some point, someday he did. But what does Jesus tell us? A little principle that's, that's wedged in there a little bit. He's telling us if you want to be perfect, if you want to grow, then you can have money, but don't let it have you. What, what happens, what happens when, uh, when Christians get goofed up in the matter of money? But they that will be rich, Paul said... Fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money has hurt a lot of good Christians. So with all of that said, that was my introduction <laughs> Woo. Let's, let's get into three truths about treasure belonging to God. The first is this, the law of sowing and reaping. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the law of sowing and reaping. Look at verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also what? Sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. If you combine this with Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, that gives us the, the principle of sowing versus sowing and reaping, what do we know? What's the law of sowing and reaping? First of all, you reap what you sow. You sow potatoes, you reap potatoes. Look, if I plant potatoes, I should get one of these. Don't worry, Ms. Becky, I'm putting it right back where it was. Okay. If I sow potatoes, I shouldn't expect to get one of these, should I? Although these are good too. I don't know what you sow to get these. But I know what some of y'all used to do with whorehound candy for your coughs and whatnot. I'm on to y'all. By the way, I don't know if that's the worst thing in the world. You got alcohol and NyQuil, don't you? Remember, we already talked about this, and everybody walked away saying, hey, we're allowed to drink. No, don't just stay on point, Andy, stay on point. 
you, you reap what you sow. I'll tell you what else. You reap more than you sow. If, if you planted for potatoes and all you got was one potato, would you consider that a success? No, you're, you mean to get more potatoes. You plant corn. Surely there's corn on here. Here's one. Well, I'm not going to pull any out. They're too, they're too beautifully arranged. You plant one kernel. You see this corn right here? Or is this maize? You plant one kernel of this corn, what do you get? You get a whole stalk. It's got ears that have plenty of kernels on them. You, you reap more than you sow. And that we might learn patience, you reap later than you sow. It doesn't always happen immediately. See? Well, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap what? Corruption. You sow to the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. What are you doing every time you lay money in the offering plate or in that box or put it in the mail or put it online or whatever? What are you doing? You're sowing. Now, I'm not trying to sound like a televangelist here. You just sow your seed faith, Brother Branson. You're going to get that Cadillac. But I'm not telling you that at all. But here's what I am telling you. You sow into the work of God. You will reap of the work of God. You will reap more than you put in. You might reap later. Be patient. The law of sowing and reaping certainly applies here. Can I give you something that I've heard my whole life? You cannot outgive God. Try it. Seriously, try it. Do everything you can to outgive God. What did Jesus say in Luke 6:38? Give. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You can't outgive God. Number two, second truth. Giving brings joy. Look at verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, I'm not telling you that if you're begrudging about it or you feel it's a necessity that you shouldn't give. No, still give. Better to give, better to give in the wrong spirit than to be disobedient and keep it. But what does God want our attitude to be? The word cheerful comes from the Greek word hilaros, from which we get our English word hilarious. We've touched on that before, haven't we? <laughs> it's time to give! Woo! Isn't that exciting? It should be. Because God loves a cheerful, a hilarious giver. Huh? When's the last time you found something hilarious? Huh? Something just, something just tickled you. I mean, you didn't see it. It just came out of nowhere. And, and some of you, it happens to you during church. Some of you, my kids get to acting up back there, one in particular. And you, I can see you back here. Yeah. Some of you thinking about a joke that somebody told you two days ago and you finally got it. See, some of you, I know it's not the spirit. Oh! 
No, that's not the Spirit. You just figured it out. And then it gets on you. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You start understanding what God's letting you be a part of, it'll tickle you to no end. That you get to be a part of the work of God. The only investment that guarantees a return for all eternity. (laughs) I get to have a part in the most noble, wonderful, long-lasting work there is. And God loves a cheerful giver. Giving brings joy. By the way, we still have those little random act of kindness cards. Did you ever use them? You go to a restaurant, and, and I'd go and usually Cracker Barrel or something like that. And I don't go as much as I used to. I'm kind of mad at Cracker Barrel, to be honest with you. They don't need to sell booze. I don't know why they started. I still go, and I don't begrudge you if you go. Just, you know, ease off the mimosas, Robert, if you would. But I'd, tell you, I'd go, and especially if it was one of the servers that I knew a little bit, I'd say, hey, take this, uh, take this card and give it to somebody, bring me their check. Make sure they don't see. Servers love that. Oh, I get, to, I get to pick them? Yeah, pick them. Okay. I said, listen, when you pick, don't you pick the one that's got 15 people at their table. You, you, pick, you pick the two poorest looking people in here. You know. But then, but then you kind of watch from a distance. Why? Because what did, what did Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. It took me a while to learn that. When I was a kid, when I was Asher's age, I could care less what mom and dad got for Christmas. I'm interested in what is under there for me. And I shook it, looked at it good, trying to, hmm, well, I think I know what that one is. I mean, I was excited. But let me tell you what's happened as I've gotten older, and you all know this. Best part of gift giving at Christmas. I'm appreciative of the gifts. I'm not telling my wife she shouldn't give me any, but... The most fun is watching them open them. They think they're enjoying all the joy. They're not. I'm enjoying it. Now, I am a sinful, imperfect father. How much more do you think our perfect heavenly father gets a kick out of giving things to us? (laughs) Oh, Brother, Brother Knuckles there, he doesn't have any idea what I have in store for him, but I got something good coming for him. I can't, I can't wait. Oh, he's going to love this. And, oh, Miss Cleta, she doesn't know, but whew, I got something coming down the pipe for her, and boy, she's going to love it. And the God of heaven sits in heaven, and he's watching us as we open the presents he gives us. Giving brings joy. You can't help it. You can't help it. But people that don't give don't know that joy. People that's all about me and getting for me and getting for me. There's a joy that can only be known by giving. Then thirdly, we need to consider the truth of the law of sowing and reaping. The truth of giving brings joy. Here's the third one. Well, Andy, I would. If the Lord blessed me with a lot, I'd give a lot. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. What God demands, He'll enable. And if God expects us to give, will He give us what we need to accomplish that and to obey that? He will. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things 
may abound to every good work. God tells you He wants you to give, and He's going to make sure you have everything you need to do it. Here's the problem. If we don't give from our little, we'll never give from our lot. Who impressed Jesus at the temple? The Pharisees that made sure to drop their coins from as high as possible into the coffer so everybody could hear how much. Or that little widow that put in her two mites. Barely made a sound. You see, what God wants us to be is conduits. If you're faithful with little things, what's he going to do? Make you ruler over many. If you're faithful with 20 bucks, God will see what you'll do with 200 bucks. If you're faithful with 200, he'll see what you'll do with 2,000. And, if you're, and some of you, even sitting in this room, the reason you have the blessing that you have in life is because you've shown yourself to be faithful when you only had a little. And God blessed you. Because you showed yourself willing to be a conduit. To let God just give through you. And the more you let him do that, the more he'll work through you. That's a wonderful thing. I can't help but think of guys like Russell Anderson. Russell, how many Bible colleges has he helped start? Like 500? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Multi-millionaire. And I think even now he lives off of 10% and gives 90. Wouldn't it be awesome to be that well off that you could live off of 10% of what you had and give away 90? Man. Now, I'm not saying that's what God expects of us, but this is somebody who was faithful with the little things, and so God used him as more and more of a conduit. But if we're going to be stingy with a little, we're never going to be generous with a lot. Never. If God expects you to give, well, he'll provide what is needed to do so. If God commands you something, does that constitute a need in your life? If God says you have to do that, does that rise to the level of a need then? If God says... I command that you do this. Then that's, that's not a hope so. That's a I have to. Right? Well, if that's a need. But my God shall supply all your what? Need. Even if it's given from Him. He'll supply all your need. According to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let's get to the so what. Let me say, and I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it. I don't make a practice to look at any of the giving records. I don't know who gives what. I, I, I'm, I'm not dumb. I've been here long enough. I know, I know who's struggling financially and who's not, kind of. You know, I, I know a little bit of that. But, but that's just from observation. That's not from, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be the kind of preacher that I would ease up or preach harder based on what I know somebody's giving. I don't, I don't have anything to do with any of that, okay? So if you think he's talking about me, I'm not because I don't know. I don't know. You could be the richest person in here and be stingy, and you could be poor and be extremely generous. I don't know. Okay? But what I've found is our church is like many. We traditionally give to meet a need. 
If there is a need that is before us, I'm telling you, y'all have been so good over the years to dig deep and bring out what's needed. I mean, that's, now we understand everything comes from God. Y'all understand that, right? But to God be the glory, but He uses people. That's how we got this new roof. There was a need, and I mean, people just came out in droves and did what had to do, had to be done. That's how we got this paved over here. People gave. That's how Granite Christian Academy still exists, because people gave. That's how this church still exists, because people gave, and they dug it because there was a need in front of them. By the way, there's a need over there, big building. But anyway, um, but sometimes what we, we don't see as readily is the responsibility that we have to give when there's not an apparent need. And the reason we give should not be solely because there's a need. The reason we give should be because it's pleasing to God and that's what he told us to do. I hope you know I'm not lecturing you. I hope you know that. Something else I hope you know. I'm not asking anything of you that me and my wife aren't already doing. Okay? We should give an obedient gratitude for God's goodness, irrespective of apparent needs. Now, I've told you in the past that financially our church is is doing well, and compared to many, we are. But the reality of it is, we do have some issues that, as a church family, you need to know about. I can't tell you how encouraged and how excited I am for the faith promise that came in this year. We asked God for 60000 and we got a little over 70000 And we've already begun talking in our leadership meetings about how best to use that new... And well, that, we, don't, we don't have the money in hand, but that's, that's why they call it faith promise. We trust that God will provide it through His people. And He always has, hasn't He? He always has. And so... Our missions giving is, man, so exciting. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. But that's what's called designated giving. That's giving that ethically I can't move, nor would I. And every time, now I understand legally, any gift that's given legally is every designation shall be considered a suggestion. I mean, obviously we're not going to let the lights go out if we've got all this money sitting there. I mean, I'll come to the church and say, we need to rethink this. But... Designated money stays where it's designated. And what's called the general fund, which is fluid and can be used for whatever it's needed, the general fund has dipped. And this has been an on-again, off-again problem for a while. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, but I made a prediction years ago. And I'm not tooting my own horn because I've seen it happen before. I'm not overly smart. I've just seen it happen before. I said, when we go debt free, when we pay that land off over there, watch out. And sure enough, initially offerings plummeted. Why? Because people have been giving sacrificially. I mean, and they had been to pay that debt off, and we're so grateful for that. People have been giving sacrificially, but then after we paid the debt off and burned the note, everybody's like, oh, okay, now I can ease up. Now, one or two people does that, that's great, but... If everybody takes that same notion, what happens? Our income just... See? And I would submit this. If God gave you the wherewithal to give sacrificially toward retiring the debt, God will give you the wherewithal to give sacrificially toward everything else too. 
The two areas in which we're struggling is in general fund giving and attendance and involvement. That's its own message. And obviously, if you're here tonight, that's not your issue. You're here. And I'm grateful. But tonight, we're talking about giving. All right, so Andy, what do we do? Now, I'm not saying we're bankrupt. We're not broke. Missions is covered, thank God. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced as long as missions is covered, God's going to provide everything else we need because that's His heartbeat. Well, preacher, are you angling for a raise? I am not. I am not. God knows my heart, and you'll just have to take my word for it. Do we need to have a special campaign and put a thermometer on the wall and let's get our general fund back up to where it needs? No. No. What would it take for us to be above and beyond everything we could need as a ministry financially? Here's here's all it takes. If everyone would just commit to do the bare minimum of what God asks of us. If everybody in here, in addition to your faith promise commitment, if everybody in here who has an income, who has an income, would just say, you know what, Lord? If you'll help me and if you'll provide for it, 10% is yours every time. If everybody did that, we'd have more money than we know what to do with. But the problem with every church I've ever been is, not everybody does that. If we do anything at all, we throw that dollar in the plate and feel like we've done God a favor. My God's done more for me than a dollar. You say, well, I give of my talent and I give of my time. I'm I'm grateful for that. (coughs) Keep doing it. But your heart says who you are. And your treasure says where you are. And if your treasure is too important to you to give it to God, that is pierced through many. Many Christians have fallen by the wayside because of a love for money. I hate preaching on money. It makes me sound ungrateful. It makes me sound overly harsh. God knows my heart. None of those things are my heart. But I'm telling you for your own good. And if you're already giving, God bless you. Thank you. But if you're not, you are literally in every sense of the word living beneath your privilege. God has so much. He will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together. You can't outgive God. And I, I even believe this. And, and there are going to be times that we, we have, you know, giving drives for the Family Life Center, I'm sure. But I think if we would just commit to just doing the bare minimum and, and tithing, or whatever you want to call it, grace giving, but just 10% comes to, comes to God through His local church, I think God would so honor that that the money for the Family Life Center would be here. Because he blesses us above that we could ask or think, doesn't he? So I hope you know my heart tonight.
We need to give. Not because there's a need. If, if the trends stay the way they are, we'll be okay. But we won't move forward. Lights will be on, but we won't move forward. But if everybody commits to do just what they know they should, man alive, imagine what God would use that to do. Remember, it already belongs to him anyway. 